Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Hey, it's good to be back in town. Uh, obviously, been gone for a while. Um, we just got back last night from Oklahoma, so I don't even know where I'm at in the time, time scheme of things. Came back from Europe, then instantly go back to Oklahoma, and so I'm messed up on my time. But um, hey, I want to talk about Israel uh, later on in the sermon, about what's going on in, in the country, how, how we need to be looking at this from a biblical perspective. So uh, just hang on for that. Uh, let me give you a little uh, a snapshot of, of our tour in Europe. Um, I spoke in Ireland, I spoke in Scotland, and then I spoke in Italy. And um, the, great th- the great news about that is there's a remnant uh, of believers there that are just like you and I. Uh, they see the same things we're seeing. The Holy Spirit's convicting them about certain things, and they, they're on the same page. Uh, they can't stand to see what, what's happening to our world, and they see the prophetic signs, no doubt about that. The sad part is they don't have churches. Uh, yeah, there are churches all over the place, but nothing that's good. Uh, you know, there's just non-remnant churches, Sardis churches, dead churches, and their pastors are, some of them are woke, some of them are cowards, some of them are state-ran churches, so you don't get much out of them. There are some some some. Uh, remnant pastors, but they're few and far between. Here's what we found out. A lot of the people I talk to in Europe watch us on Sunday morning. Well, for them, it's, it's Sunday afternoon, and they watch our live stream, and they watch Wednesday night. And, and because we're their only lifeline, it's not just me, but they watch Tom, and they watch Billy, and they listen to Jan, and a lot of the group that, that we're in of remnant churches, they're, they're hanging on by a thread, by listening to remnant pastors here in America because they don't have them there. And so the great thing about it is God is using us beyond the walls of Bakersfield, beyond the city limits here, and we're reaching out to the remnant all over the place. And they need us. They need our our information because they just simply don't get the information, especially from their news groups. The, The kind of news they have is just like watching CNN all the time. It's the BBC and CNN International, and it's like horrible. They don't ever get the right side of the story. And so they actually rely on us and, and conservative news groups in America for their information. Um, and so that was the situation. The other thing that concerned me in Europe is what they're doing with their, 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 their society. They basically are, have cut themselves off from their fossil fuels and basically are all electric and, um, and it's destroying their economies. Uh, we, we got stuck in Frankfurt, uh, just to tell you a little story there, we got stuck in Frankfurt um, and um, they had no air in, the, in our air conditioning in the uh, terminal. Uh, and I, I, there's tons of people in there and we're like, why is this so hot? And we figured out, oh, they don't run their air. And they're not running the air because Germany cut themselves off from fossil fuels and is totally electric. And so the, the price of electricity in Germany has skyrocketed. So the terminal is just not going to pay for it, not going to run it. And I thought, how third world is that? But that's what happens when you cut yourself off from fossil fuels. And I'm thinking, this is coming to America. 
this is going to come here, and they're, the, high, the high cost of energy is going to go up, and people are not going to be able to afford it, and you're going to walk into places, and they don't have their air on, no heat in the wintertime. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this is a preview of what's happening when you go green uh, to satisfy you know, uh, some green agenda. That's a hoax. The other thing that, turned, that, that was um, eye-opening, scary in one sense, is Frankfurt scared me. Europe scares me in a lot of ways. Not, not the people, uh, it's, it's their, their, the, the, the push towards globalism, the, the push towards this one world system and all that junk that the you know, Bible talks about. And um, one of the things that, that ha they have done in Europe is they have done a replacement of the Europeans with people from Muslim countries, okay? And we call this the great replacement. Now, this could, should concern everybody here in America because of our open borders as well. So what happened with Europe is they allowed their open borders and they had unvetted Muslim immigrants come into illegally uh, into their countries and basically flood into the countries. And we've known this for some time, but when you get on the ground, you start realizing, oh my goodness, uh, when I'm in Germany, I think, like Keith told me, he goes, I think you're the only imported German in there, Brandon, because... My last name's Holthaus, so we have a little German in me. But when I, because I was in Frankfurt, I'm looking around, and I saw more hijabs than I did Germans. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And it's third world, by the way. It's like spray paint all over the place. And we were looking for a nice German restaurant to eat. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have some bratwurst, or I'm going to have a whatever, you know, a German type of meal. No, I ended up eating at an Iranian restaurant in Frankfurt, Germany. Now, what does that tell you? Well, it's what was called the Great Replacement. They have replaced the Europeans with third world Muslim immigrants. If you go to London, if you go to France, if you go to Germany, if you go to Sweden, those Europeans have been replaced by Islam. And, and that was on intentional. It was intentional, okay? Now, what's happening in America is the same thing. Our open borders, that they're never going to close. Or to come and replace Americans with people from third world that don't share our, our ideals, that don't share our Christian values, that have a different outlook in life. And that is meant to be on purpose, on purpose. So the, America's having the great replacement as well. And, and again, if, if this stuff, stuff doesn't stop here in America, whether it's the church going dead or, or it's uh, un, 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 just unmitigated immigration infiltrating our country, uh, we're, we're going to end up like Europe. That was the scary part that I watched. And, 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 and so the remnants alive and well, no doubt about that, but they're, they're, they're desperate for information. They're desperate for churches teaching the Bible and teaching especially prophecy, which very few people do. So that was interesting. Um, and continue to pray for the remnant that's actually watching us right now. Okay, <clears throat> that brings us to um, our, our lesson. And then in, in this lesson, I'm gonna segue out in, into about Israel. But the concept that we're, you're gonna see in Genesis 23 is living beyond this life. And it's, it's a it's a situation where Abraham's wife, Sarah, dies, and he buys a, a plot of land in Israel to bury her. 
And, you're, and you, if you read this in your own Bible study, you're going to think, well, what's the big deal about this? So she dies and, she, and he buries her. Oh, no, it's a huge deal. It is a major deal because it exemplifies Abraham's faith for the future. Because here's what's happening. God has promised the land to Abraham and Sarah, okay? Israel. We call it Israel today, right? And she dies. And then he's going to die. And what the patriarch is figuring out is that the promises that God made to him are not going to come true in his lifetime. In fact, what he's going to have to wait for is the next lifetime to God, for God to make good on his promises. And so he has to then go into a different mindset in order to live in the here and now. That's no different than what you and I have to experience. Look, God is going to provide health for us, but not in this life. He provides health when he gives us a new body, but that's in the future. And that future body will not get sick and get old and, get, and unhealthy. It will be able to last forever. But that's in the next life. We're promised that in the next life, we get our lives back. We're promised that there's not going to be any more evil. There's not going to be any more sin. There's going to be holiness and righteousness, and, and everything's going to go well. And Jesus is going to rule and reign on David's throne in Jerusalem. And there won't be any more people attacking Israel. No more Hamas, no more Fatah, no more Hezbollah. They'll be wiped out completely. And there will be a time of peace, but it's not happening now. It's happening in the future. And the way, the way you have to live as a believer is you have to live future-oriented. You have to look towards those promises into the future. And that's what Abraham's going to do by, by, by this situation of him buying some property and burying his, his, his wife. Let me, I want to show you something real cool that I didn't get to share with you last time we looked at Abraham and Isaac. The last time we left off, we were in chapter 22, and it was the great sacrifice of, of Isaac that Abraham was called to do. And, of course, Abraham goes up there with Isaac and to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah, uh, which is the Temple Mount area, right, where Jesus would be crucified. And we talked about Isaac representing Christ, being a foreshadowing or a, a typology of the Messiah. And then, obviously, you know, the, the, the whole story, as Abraham is about ready to sacrifice Isaac, what happens he stops, God stops him and provides a ram in the thicket and they sacrifice the ram. Okay, so that was one of the major tests for, for obviously for Abraham and he passed it. But notice in the text, it says, so Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Now wait a second, there's something missing in the text. Remember, Abraham and Isaac go on top of Mount Moriah. They leave the two young men that, that were uh, servants of them down there. So it was the two, two of them up there. But who returns? Only Abraham. Where is Isaac? Doesn't say. It doesn't say that Isaac returned. Now, why do you think Moses wrote this way? Well, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a typology for, what, for Isaac being a typology for Jesus, I want to show you something. Isaac is missing for a reason. He will appear in several chapters later. Now get this, follow me on this. He will appear several chapters later 
fetching a bride. Does that bring, bring anything bring anything to mind? Did you catch that? Absolutely amazing, right? So the last time we obviously were seeing the Messiah here on earth, he made the sacrifice on Calvary, rose on the third day, spent 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom, and then ascended back into heaven. And the angel said he will return in like manner, okay? So we've been waiting for our so-called Isaac to return, and the next time we see Jesus is when he's coming and fetching the bride of Christ. So don't miss that. I thought, I thought that was amazing that Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would write that out just to fit the typology for when we would see Jesus. Now here's the funny thing is, Jesus uses wedding language in John 14. You know the passage very well, but this is actually wedding language. Just like when Isaac goes and looks for a bride. Let not your heart be troubled, but you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. It shouldn't be translated mansions, it's mona, or mona, mona uh, and it means abodes or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That's wedding language. When you would marry somebody, the groom would come, offer the, the bride a cup of wine, and then the bride could either accept or reject your offer. And so the bride either would drink it or not. If she drank the wine, then she accepted the offer from the, the groom. Once she did that, then the groom would say in Galilee, I go to prepare a place for you. That's wedding language. And if, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am you may be also. Again, more wedding language. So what would the groom do? Once she accepted the offer and he said, I go to prepare a place where he would go to his father's house and then build on the father's house a bridal chamber. Okay, and this is where he would move his bride to, this bridal chamber. Well, guess what our bridal chamber is? It's the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is our bridal chamber that he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And then obviously he's gonna come back and fetch the bride. So the, the, the groom, once the, once the bridal chamber was done, the father would then inspect the bridal chamber and, and, and he said, everything looks good, everything's perfect, okay. Then the father would say, go get your bride. And that's when uh, obviously he would go and, and he would come at a time, like a thief in the night, so to speak, when you didn't know when he was going to come, and he would go and snatch his bride away and take her back to the father's home. That's exactly what we're waiting for. So in this picture of Isaac not coming back down, it's a picture of Jesus being gone and then the next time coming and getting us. And like he said, in, uh, 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 sorry, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, behold, I tell you a mystery. What is a mystery in the New Testament? A mystery means that it wasn't told about, talked about in the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, the writers are revealing something, new information. So this is the mystery. What was the mystery? The mystery was the rapture. The second coming was not a mystery. That was already foretold in the Old Testament. What was a mystery was the rapture of the fetching of the bride. We shall not all sleep. All of us are not gonna all die. We're gonna be alive, he says, but we shall be all changed. Some of us will be alive when it's coming. And I can tell you this, based on looking at a lot of what's going on in the world, he's coming soon. Amen? And no, amen. And I know it's, it's a bittersweet thing to watch how bad life is becoming 
But that just means you're getting closer to seeing the Lord and him fetching the bride. And look what he says. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Let me explain what that means. The twinkling of an eye is, is, is actually in Greek, it's the recognition of, of seeing someone familiar. Like if you haven't seen someone in a long time, and, and they've gotten older, and a lot, you know, it wears on them. They're like, I don't remember you at, I remember you at 21, but I don't remember you at 50. Um, that's what a lot of people say about me. They're like, you look a lot different then. Yeah, I don't, I do. I've gotten older, a lot older. But then all of a sudden, they look at you and they say, boom, and it, it, it recognizes, they can recognize you. That's the twinkling of an eye. That's what the Greek means, is that you, uh, it's a recognition that fast. And then it says at the last trumpet. You know what that trumpet uh, is? That's the Tekia de Gola of the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. That's what that refers to is the last trumpet. It's the loudest trumpet at the feast. So Rosh Hashanah or Feast of Trumpets is related to the rapture, okay? Don't, don't think about it. It's a high time during the Feast of Trumpets to always look for the rapture. That's, that's incorrect because that's date setting. Um, but the rapture is associated to the Tekia de Gola. Okay, but what will happen? Well, the trumpet will sound. You and I will hear that trumpet, okay? And the dead, and, and the dead will be raised first, basically. The dead in Christ raised incorruptibly, and we shall be changed, translated. For this corruption must put on incorruption. For this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of, the sin, of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, what is, that, that's, what is that telling you? That there's going to come a day where he's going to put an end to death in our lives. So many of us have experienced death, and we've had to go through loved ones dying. He says, one day it's not going to happen anymore. Death, where is your sting? It's gone. When that happens, it will be removed finally. But that, again, is a future orientation. This concept, I go to prepare a place for you. You understand, it's specifically designed for you personally. Each person, think about this. They've, they've done the structure, or the, uh, I think Henry Morris did this. He did the calculations of New Jerusalem. Okay, this thing's massive, the New Jerusalem, okay? Based on the dimensions of the New Jerusalem, it means that if, if 20 billion people were saved, that they estimate about 20 billion people since Adam and Eve that would be saved. Um, based on that, they estimate that every single person would have 75 acres available to them personally. 75 acres? You know what that means? That means I can build my own golf course. That's what that means. And the way I'm going to design it is there's no, there's no bunkers, there, it's only big fairways, and the hole is this big, so I don't ever miss my putts and do a two putt, or three putt. I'm working on it, and I have the design in my mind, but could you imagine, I, I say that tongue in cheek, obviously, I hope to do that one day, but 75 acres per person? Yeah, that's how big it is for at least 20 billion people. So when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, yeah, it's a big place. It's not some little apartment in Jerusalem. It's a big one. But that's our future. Now, the thing is, what he's trying to say is you have to live for that future because it's not going to come here and now. It's in the future, right? 
So let's go into the story and watch this principle play itself out because it's beautiful. Sarah lived 127 years. And they were, uh, these were the years of the, of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, which means the village of four, that is Hebron. Hebron means friend in Hebrew, which got its name actually from Abraham being the friend of God. In the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, this is a very touching scene because it's always been him and Sarah. They were the ones who made it. They are the ones who made the pilgrim pilgrimage out of Ur of the Chaldees. It's always been those two. They made the journey together. Now Sarah is gonna pa has passed away, and she's not going to see the promises come to fruition in her life, and neither will Abraham. So the concept is this. Abraham understands that then God must be saying that his promises will be fulfilled in the future. That's where the faith comes in, because they're not going to see it in their lifetime. And that's what happens. And what, what really the principle is, is that many of the Lord's promises to you and I are not going to come in our lifetime. We're not going to see a righteous uh, government in our lifetime. Not at all. I mean, what's getting set up is the Antichrist government, obviously. It's getting worse. We're not going to see that. We're not going to see uh, our society return back to God. We're not going to see that. That's just the reality of things. You're not going to see the church uh, have a big uh, 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 kumbaya and come back to God. What the church ends is in an apostasy, and there's a small remnant that still believes. That's how the church ends. But those promises that are made to us come in the future. And that um, part of it demands, it demands that God resurrects the, pe the, the, the people he made promises to. This is where the concept of resurrection comes from. So in Abraham's mind, he says, well, if, if she's dead and God's promised not only him but Sarah the promises, that must mean that God's going to resurrect her one day. That's what he's thinking. And that's the mindset he had with Isaac. Well, if, if he's the child of promise, then God must be able to resurrect him. And this is where the concept of resurrection comes from. It's the same thing for us, right? So, it demands that we live in that light of, of things. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Sadducees brought up this issue of resurrection to the Messiah. And Messiah actually is going to use Abraham as an example of this thought process. Because the Sadducees, as it says, at one day, uh, that, uh, on, on that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection... So the Sadducees, a religious group in Israel, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They only believed in the first five books of Moses. They would, they would be like today progressive leftist Christians, those who call themselves Christians, but they're leftists, right? And, and so they were the, the liberals of Jesus' day, the leftists of Jesus' day. And so they don't believe in supernatural. They don't believe in the, you know, the, the, the power of God to resurrect people. So basically, they come and they think they're going to foil Jesus. Yeah, right. And they come to him with a proposition. And you remember the proposition? Okay, you say you're the Messiah. You say there's a resurrection. Let's do this uh, tongue twister with you. Say, for instance, a guy is married to a woman. And she dies. Then he remarries. And then she dies. And then he remarries. And she dies. And on and on it goes until he marries seven women. Tell us if you're the Messiah, whose wife will she be in heaven? Right? And then he answers it. But Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, since you do not understand the Scriptures nor the power of God. 
And then he'll go on to say, there is no marriage in heaven. Marriage happens on earth, not in heaven. You, 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 you're making a category mistake. And the other thing is you don't understand that God resurrects you, so you doubt, doubt the power of God. And then what he says, and this is where he brings in Abraham. Watch this. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, so here's the doctrine. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Now here's the thing. What passage does he quote from? Because they don't believe anything outside the, of the, the five books of Moses. They don't believe in the prophets. They don't believe in the, 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 the writings and the Psalms and, every, and the Proverbs and anything like that. So guess where he quotes from to prove the doctrine of the resurrection? It's Deuteronomy. I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So he quotes from them the only book, that, the book from the, the sites that he, they believe, and he says, you misunderstand. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are alive today, and they will be resurrected in the future because God made promises to them that he has to fulfill, and the only way he can do it is through resurrection. And he smokes them. I love it when he does that. It is so awesome. And they think they're going to trap the Messiah. Come on. Are you serious? It's like dealing with Dawkins or any of these atheists. I mean, they're just out of their league, right? Okay, now here's the thing. What did God promise Abraham? He promised him seed. He promised him a descendant that would live forever and rule on David's throne. That obviously Jesus, right? And then he promised him land, okay? So this part of the seed is the Jewish people, and the land, obviously, is the nation of Israel. Okay, guess what? That is under attack. What you see right now happening in front of your very eyes is Satan's attack on the nation of Israel. That's what's going on, okay? So it's a spiritual, it's not a political, it's a spiritual issue that's going on. So all of us who are believers when we look at what's going on in Israel, that's, that's God working to do something. And I'll show you in just a bit. What's happening on the ground right now? So I, I, was, I was watching the news this morning. These are the latest tallies. I, I don't know what the current tallies are right now. So at least 600 Israelis are dead, okay? Um, we have over 2,000 people, Jewish people, that are wounded. You have over 5,000 missiles that were fired into Israel, and you have 100 Israelis that are being held hostage by uh, Hamas, which includes Americans. Now, there's a lot of things going on here. I wonder how much we're going to get involved now that Americans are involved. I don't think Biden's going to do anything. He just gives lip service, but he's not going to do anything. Understand this. Based on those stats right there, this is their own personal 9-11. If you use those stats of 600 Israelis dead, that would equivocate, equivocate to America's, Americans being uh, lost and about 20,000 American lives being killed, okay? Which is more than 9-11. So this is there on 9-11 that this happened. One of the things that, that bothers me about the whole situation, it's not just simply this, it's the fact that how did the IDF and the Mossad and Israeli intelligence fail to see this happen. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it doesn't add up. 
It just doesn't add up. And I hope in, in the days ahead, I'm going to be doing some research and, and, and hearing some, some, some people that are on the ground there in Israel to find out, hey, what are you hearing on the ground? Because I want to be able to communicate that with my people. Um, but we're all in a quandary right now saying, how did this happen? This is weird. Okay? I watched a drone drop a bomb on an Israeli tank, and it was Hamas drone. And I want to say, where would Hamas get a drone from? And where did they get the money for all the weapons? 5,000 rockets? How did they get all those rockets? Where is it coming from? Well, it's simple. Hamas is a front group for Iran. We, the Biden administration, have been giving money to Iran, and that money is being paid to give weapons to Hamas, who attacks Jews. America is now in the crosshairs of God for helping Iran, giving them money and trying to do deals with them, and that, that money is being filtered into Hamas or Hezbollah to hurt Israel. Look, you're not gonna, look, you, you, you wanna ask for cursing? That's a cursing. Now, don't worry, you're a believer, you're exempt from that cursing, okay? But not the rest of America, not the rest of America. You mess with God's people, you're messing with the apple of God's eye. And boy, howdy, you mess with the horn, you get the bull. Right? Amen. I hope we do the right thing. I doubt it, though, but I hope. Okay, so here's a video. Here's how it started. Okay? Watch this video. Palestinian militants from the armed group Hamas launched a surprise coordinated attack on Israel by land, sea, and air on Saturday morning. With hundreds killed, the attack is the largest and deadliest in years and prompted an Israeli declaration of war. Here's how it unfolded. At around 6.30 a.m., the attack began with a barrage of rockets. Shortly after the first reports of rocket fire, Hamas fighters entered Israel near the Kerem Shalom crossing, an important checkpoint between Israel and Gaza. The video released by Hamas shows its fighters breaching the border fence and attacking the military base there. Around the same time, Hamas fighters also raided and captured Israel's Erez border crossing station. Targeting checkpoints like these enabled Hamas to neutralize clusters of Israeli forces and spread into nearby towns with less resistance. By 7.30 a.m., Israelis began seeing groups of Palestinian militants arriving in towns and cities. The incursion fanned out into nine towns near the border with Gaza. In the city of Sterot, Palestinian militants clashed in the streets with Israeli police and military. By late morning, Palestinian militants began destroying sections of the border barrier. What started as a small penetration of the Israeli border became a wide open corridor. Soon, Palestinian militants began taking hostages in towns near the border with Gaza. Many hostages were taken back to Gaza and driven through the streets. 
By the afternoon, at least 200 Israelis were killed and more than 1,000 injured, mainly civilians. Israeli jets launched retaliatory strikes in Gaza, killing and injuring similar numbers of Palestinians. Hamas said their attacks were only the beginning of a long war. So you can see some of the attacks uh, into Israel, and there's the, the, the rockets that sometimes have landed and destroyed things. Uh, these are neighborhoods in Israel that the, the rockets hit and attacked. You can see the devastation from all of this. <clears throat> Again, 5,000 rockets, and then, of course, uh, Hamas or Fatah, the Palestinians, they do their little selfies. They think they're... Um, they're winning, and Israel's getting ready to throttle them. Israel is sending tanks into the Gaza. It's going to basically wipe all, all Hamas out. They're not, they're not holding back. Um, and uh, we'll see how that unfolds, obviously. These people right here, the, these are the descendants of Ishmael. And they have the same attitude of Ishmael, which Ishmael was talked about as being a wild donkey of a man, that he would attack his brethren, his cousins, Israel, and that is, and he would always be retaliated against. And again, this is not me saying that, it's God saying that, that this is what's going on in this people group. They will always do this to Israel, and then Israel has to retaliate. Here's them breaching the, the wall. This is the thing that concerns me. How did that happen? How did this, how, that, that wall is looked at constantly under surveillance in Israel. 24-7. They don't have their eyes off of the border. How did this happen? Again, it causes more questions than I have answers for. And this, again, celebrating. They, again, where did they get a drone to drop a bomb on one of the, the tanks? Hamas isn't, doesn't have that capability. Where did they get that at? I'm thinking Iran. I'm thinking, I don't know, but they don't have it. It comes, it comes from somewhere, and I know Iran's working on a whole drone army, right? And you see some of the devastation, some of the cars, obviously. Here's a party that was happening. These are Jewish people running from Hamas who's trying to kill them and kidnap them. They're raping the Jewish women, and this is what happened when they were having a party. They didn't have an idea what was going on. Look at how many Jewish people are running from Hamas. Infuriates me. And here's the rockets. Again, 5,000 rockets firing constantly in Israel. Constantly. One after another. One after another. Where are they getting the rockets? Who's giving them it? Because they don't manufacture rockets. Somebody's giving them the rockets. Someone's paying for that. Look at these. This is the, when the rockets hit, this is what happens. They blow up things. And Israel has Iron Dome, but some of these rockets are making it through. It's overwhelming Iron Dome. Iron Dome can, can do rockets, but they can't over, you overwhelm the system with like 5,000 rockets, Iron Dome can't take them all out, and eventually they hit civilians. Constant, look at that, just constant rockets. 
this is. Imagine if you lived in San Diego and, and Hamas was firing rockets from Tijuana into San Diego. That's how close they are. That's how they live with this constant rocket barrage. They get 5,000 rockets, just constant, constant. Where are they getting all the rockets? Where did they get 5,000 rockets? Constant. So obviously, it, it, we're gonna continue to monitor this. Okay, so let's talk about this from a prophetic standpoint. What does this mean? What are the implications? Well, the implications means that we're, we're, we're heading in, well, we're in the last days, but we're heading into a situation where the end of the church is happening and God is picking up the program with Israel. But here's the deal. Israel is, is, is going to be used by God, but he has to wake Israel up. He has to wake Israel up to their Messiah, to Jesus. How is he going to do that? Well, it appears, according to Scripture, that he allows invasions to happen into Israel, and ultimately the invasion of the Antichrist to take over and try to wipe them out. But what you're getting to see right now is the setup of some pre-tribulational uh, invasions. Primarily the Psalm 83 invasion. If you read Psalm 83, there's a, 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 it's an all-Arab invasion of bordering countries of Israel. Okay? And, and through that, Israel's military will throttle them. Okay? This could be setting that scenario up. The second invasion includes the Gog of Magog invasion in Ezekiel 38 and 39. That invasion is a non-Arab invasion, but it includes being led by Russia, Iran, Turkey, Libya, and then Sudan and Ethiopia attacking Israel, which are non-bordering countries, non-Arab countries. So you have two pre-tribulational events that will invade Israel, okay? Now, here's the thing. We could be raptured tonight, or if we're raptured closer to the beginning of the tribulation, you're going to see these invasions, possibly, because we're only promised to be raptured prior to the tribulation period. Therefore, it's very possible we could see Psalm 83 or Gog of Magog happen in our lifetimes. Very, very possible. Or we could be raptured. You have to have both scenarios in your head. But this, what's happening on the ground there, is setting up those situations. And I can tell you what the United States' stance is going to be. Non-intervention. That's what's predicted in Ezekiel 38. The young lions of Tarshish only protest. Why do you invade her? They don't do anything. And I, I, I have a funny hunch that the Biden administration is not going to get involved in there. They're not going to cut their aid from Hamas. They're not going to cut aid to, uh, and money given to Iran. They're not going to cut the, the aid given to the Palestinians. They're going to continue to do this, and we're going to be put in the crosshairs with God because of that. Well, anyway, that, again, it paints a picture of where the United States is in the last days, which exactly is portrayed right now in front of you. Okay. But here's, the, what's the hope? The hope is, why is God doing this to Israel? Why does he bring them back into the land to have all this, this garbage happen to them? Because Daniel chapter 12 reveals it. It is to break the power of the holy people. What do you mean, break the power? Well, what did Jesus, what did God have to do to you and I in order for us to accept Messiah? He had to break us. Break us of what? Our pride. Humble yourself. You need salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't earn your way to heaven. And we had to humble ourselves and say, you're right, Lord. I admit, I'm a sinner. I, I, I can't save myself. I must look to Jesus to do that. That's what he's doing to Israel as a nation. That's what the tribulation will be for.
to break the power of the people so they will call on him. They will ask for salvation and then he will physically rescue them. That's the whole purpose of all this. And that's the future. And in the future, here's Isaiah 33 and there's a bunch of passages, but here's the future. It's not always gonna be like this. Once Israel gets broken and they ask for salvation and he comes and rescues them, Jesus sets up his throne in Israel on David's throne and reigns for a thousand years and Israel then is made the head of the nations, not the tail. And in Isaiah 33, it says, as your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, right? A quiet home, amen? A tabernacle that will not be taken down, a temple that will be built by the Messiah and no one will ever take that, that temple down. No, not one of its stakes will ever be removed. No more will you see the Al-Aqsa Dome uh, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount. No, no it's not going to be removed because it belongs to Israel. Nor will any of its cords be broken. But there, there, the majestic Lord will be for us. That's where Jesus will rule and reign. That's what it's saying in the future, right? And then this is the, the, the admonition for you and I. What are we to do? What am I supposed to do as a believer as I watch this go down? Well, again, who has the right to the land? The Jews. Who has a right to exist? The Jews. This is the whole picture of Abraham. Look what Psalm 122 says. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This is the Messianic kingdom. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Right? I used to hear Zola Levitt in this, his his programs, when Zola Levitt was alive, Sha'alu Shalom, Yerushalayim, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what you pray for. But what peace are you praying for? The peace is the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, because Messiah is the only one that can rescue them. Not a political figure. They will run to the Antichrist, unfortunately, to save them, and he will turn on them like a sheep-killing dog. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying that they accept Messiah that they would come to faith in him. And look what it says. Look at the promise here. May they prosper who love you. May they, who's the ones who love Israel? It's the Bible-believing Christians that love Israel. May they prosper who love you, who love Jerusalem, who love the Jewish people. That's the Abrahamic promise. I will bless those who bless you, Israel, and I will curse those who curse you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. And that will happen when Jesus rules and reigns. But see, that's future, right? That's future thinking. And that's what Abraham is doing with, with the bearing of Sarah. So let's go back to the story. The principle is this. God's future promises to us and even to Israel are the basis of reality. It's the guide of how to walk the narrow path. Because it's all future-oriented. So here's the thing. When you live according to future promises, they prevent you from living according to your circumstances. Now, what God doesn't promise you, he doesn't promise you to get out of your circumstances. Israel's not getting out of their circumstances. They're in the middle of it, right? But what does he promise? that if you trust in him, you can live above those circumstances with a different perspective, with a different agenda, with a different goal, okay? You're gonna lose things in this life. You're gonna get hammered in this life. You're gonna lose loved ones. You're gonna lose relationships. But what does the future say? God says, I restore everything back to you. 
I restore everything. So keep your eyes on the future and do not let your circumstances dictate to you bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and you're, you're thinking, I'm losing everything, I'm losing my life. Don't, don't let that happen because that's what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to discourage you so you're no earthly good, right? Let's continue on, watch this. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Look what he says, a foreigner, is gar in Hebrew. It means a temporary inhabitant. And then he uses uh, uh, teshav, which means sojourner. He's using language that I'm not home. This, I'm just a pilgrim. It's pilgrim language. It's sojourner language. Ah, yes, this is called the tent principle, that you and I, are passing through this life. We are just pilgrims. We're sojourners. Abraham, even though the land was given to him, he knows it's not gonna come in his lifetime. So he's just gonna pass through until he gets to the next life where permanency is. And this whole, this whole idea here is that you have to have a sojourner orientation in life. You have to, you have to keep in mind, this is not your home. And I can tell you this, it's becoming more and more evident every day that this is not my home. And not your home either, as wickedness and, and the evil. And you're like, man, I'm done with this place, man. I'm sick and tired of it, you know? And, and I got my bags packed ready. I'm ready to go. Hey, just, just call me home right now. Anyway, but what happens is, if I look at myself as a sojourner, as a traveler, I'm just passing through. So when I do lose things, I, I, don't, lose, I don't go into despair, I, I, when, uh, you're going to lose, but you're like, okay, well, I lost, but I get it all back. I, I lose my health, okay, but I get a new body in the, in the end. I lose my relationship, but you get those relationships in the, in, in the end, in, uh, in, the, in the kingdom. Oh, well, that gives me a whole different perspective. That's right. That's the idea. Here's the perspective of Abraham. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. It was his land. God gave it to him, but he was a foreigner in his own country. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Wait a second. That's you and I. The earth belongs to you, but, you're, but not now. It belongs into the future. Oh, so that means you just need to pass through this one. Even though Bill Gates or Joe Biden or George Soros think they own this earth, they really don't, right? It's really yours, but it's in the future. So what do you, so if they take whatever property they want from me or whatever, yes, I will stand against that and I will fight against it. But in the end, if I lose everything, so what? I get it all back anyway. If the earth becomes mine. That's what my, my king said to me, Amen. right? Okay, Amen. that's what he did. And he said, the heirs of him who have the same promise for he waited for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Yeah, that's right. He waited for that, and that's what we're waiting for, right? So watch this. Give me property for a burial place among you, that I might bury my dead out of my sight. So he wanted a burial place in the promised land, and let's watch how the, this transaction happens. And what's happening is a crisis of faith. The crisis of faith is this. Do you and I, does Abraham have enough faith to invest in what God promises to give to you in the future? So Abraham is investing in the future by burying Sarah in the land of Israel. He's investing in the future. Because what normally would happen is 
in that culture, and, and typically even, even in our culture, when someone dies, you want to take them back to their homeland. You want them to be buried where they came from, right? So typically what Abraham should, well, should have done, but he didn't, um, in, in cultural sense, is take her back to uh, uh, you know, Ur of the Chaldees. But he didn't do that because you know why Abraham is saying that's not her home anymore. She's not going to be buried there. That's not her home. God called her and I together to a new land. I'm going to bury her in her land that God gave her. That's his mentality right there. So he basically has enough faith to invest in that promise, right? Not to go back. This is what Jesus said. Here's the principle. Do not lay up yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Notice what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, here's the principle. Jesus is saying, put your treasure in heaven and your heart will follow. If your heart follows, which means your center of belief, you will live as a sojourner. You will live as a pilgrim waiting for the next life. But if you decide that this world is your treasure, this is where you're going to build your kingdom and have your agenda, your heart will be here. And you'll try to have your best life now, according to Joel Olstein. And it will be an utter failure because you can't have your best life now. It's not possible. It, there's sin in the world. There's wickedness. You have sin in your own heart. You can't have your best life now. So he says, look, put your treasure ahead. Pay it ahead. Pay it forward. That's the only way you're going to be able to make it out of this life, right? Because where it is, that's where your heart will follow. Okay. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, hear us, O my Lord, you are a mighty prince. You had a good reputation among them. Everyone knew Abraham, friend of God. Bury your dead in the choices of burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. So this is part of bargaining in the Middle East. So you got to understand this is a bargaining thing. So they're going to say, oh, no, no, you go ahead, Abraham. Bury your dead anywhere you want. Watch what Abraham does and how he reacts to this. There's a principle here. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land and the sons of Heth. So there's witnesses about this. And he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of, out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me. So he says, look, I've already picked out a cave that I want to bury my wife in. And it belongs to is this guy named Ephron, the son of Zohar. So that they're gonna ask, he's going to ask for them for, to do a deal for uh, uh, a meet and greet with him so he can buy this place for Sarah, for Sarah. That he may give to me the cave of Machpelah, which means double cave. Machpelah is very important. This is to be the first place that Abraham will buy. It's, it, it's only a few times in biblical history where a Jew will actually buy their own land. Okay? Uh, and this is the first occurrence of it, which he has, which is at the end of the field. Let him give it to me at full price. Notice what he says, full price. Not half price, not on sale, not at a discount. I'm going to pay full price. Now watch it. There's a principle here. As the property for a burial place among you. This burial place belongs to me anyway, but I'm going to pay full price for it. 
Now Ephraim dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered, the, uh, entered at the gate of the city. So this is a business deal at the center uh, of the city, sorry, the center gate where all the business transactions happen, saying, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you, bury your dead. This is part of the bargaining. This is not, this is, this is not a real offer. But what he is saying is that, look, no, no, no. Pick whatever cave you want. Uh, we give it to you for free. Ephron say, no, no, take it for free. But Abraham will not take it for free. He won't take it at a discount. He won't do it. Look what he says. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. Abraham will not take something for free. Do you know why? Because there will be a dispute after it if it was given to him for, for free. They will say, well, he really didn't mean it, and it was given to him for free, and maybe he was trying to loan it out. No, no. Abraham wants the deal to be done and a money exchanged with people seeing it as a witness. Okay, So he will not take it for free. But there's a principle here, and let's continue on. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. What is he saying? So again, this is part of uh, bargaining in the Middle East. So it's like if you go buy a used car, the guy's gonna give the highest price, right? And you're gonna go the lowest price. And somehow you keep bargaining until you get in the middle. That's, that's how they do it in the middle. They do it today. You can go there today and you'll have to bargain. So this guy comes up and says, no, nah, man, it's 400 shekels. 400 shekels? You think, what's the big deal about that? At the time, this is 2000 BC, at the time, archeologists say that the going rate for one acre was four shekels. He's buying a cave for 400 shekels. This is like total extortion of Abraham. Totally way out of whack of the going rate at the time. Why is he doing this? Because it's, it's all about money. He's trying to gain, you know, cheat Abraham and extort him. But watch what Abraham does. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver before Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, witnesses, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. Whoa! You know what Abraham did? He didn't even bargain. He didn't try to bring him down. He says, you want 400 shekels? I'll pay you 400 shekels. There you go. It was like 100 pounds of silver. Way, way overpriced. Way over. But Why? Why is Abraham not bargaining? Why is he paying the full price? Why does he want to pay? There's a principle here. And it's a principle was seen in David. David wanted the threshing floor to build the temple. Remember that? And Ornan says, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, have it for this amount, you know, or have it free, whatever. No, no. Look what David said. Then King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the Full price for I, and here's the principle, guys, that Abraham's working with, I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings, which that which cost me nothing. Ah, here's the principle. And the principle is with Abraham. If I'm gonna do this for the Lord, and this is gonna be an act of faith, I will not give the Lord anything that didn't cost me anything. I am going to have to pay for this. And the principle is this. 
if you serve the Lord, if you follow his promises, it will cost you. And if it doesn't cost you, it's not worth doing. Anytime you serve the Lord, he asks for you to sacrifice for him. You will sacrifice some element of your life to him in order to serve him, in order to fulfill the promises. That's the only way you can operate. If you, if you try to serve the Lord based on your convenience, and if it's easy, and if it doesn't cost you anything, you're not serving him. You're playing tiddlywinks, because it's just the only way you can do it. So Abraham says, no, 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 I'm paying the full price. I've got to pay. David, I've got to pay the full price. That's the idea. Now watch this. So the field of Ephron, and which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which were in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went at the gate of his city. So basically he got the, the, the cave, and then he got a field according to it. So it's the only time Abraham pays for a field that he owns. Okay, so what does he do? After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave, that is it, were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. Okay, so he buries his wife. What is the big deal? The big deal is this is where the patriarchs were all going to be buried. This is where the cave of Machpelah is. It is in Israel, in, in, in Mamre or Hebron, and right now, there's a Muslim mosque over it, unfortunately. And just like the Temple Mount, there is a Muslim mosque on the Temple Mount, okay? So, for a long time, they wouldn't let Jews go in there. Uh, here's one of the caves that goes underneath. I've seen, actually, the... A, a pictorial graph of how the cave is structured. Actually, you go down, and I think it's 12 or 13 or 14 steps. You go down, um, and then you go laterally in the cave that's under this mosque, okay? And, and who's buried there? Well, it's, it's the patriarchs are buried there. Abraham and Sarah are there. Uh, <clears throat> Isaac and, and Rebecca are there. Uh, Jacob and Leah are buried there as well, Okay? And you think, well, what is the big deal? This is a huge deal because the patriarchs wanted to be buried there because that's where they would be resurrected. They would be resurrected in the land to be able to fulfill or see the fulfillment of the promises in, in their life when God resurrects them. So this is very important structure to the Jews. Now you go in and you see the mosque and the, uh, obviously the Muslims have control of it and and. and, and Obviously, um, Jews have a hard time getting there. I think they started letting Jews come in there recently, and they can go to the, to the, the side of it or whatever. But anyway, that's where the patriarchs are buried, and that's where they'll be resurrected too. What's the point? What, what, what's the big deal about burying Sarah in this land and him buying it? It's this. Not only does it cost him to serve the Lord and to cost him to live according to those promises, Abraham is putting skin in the game. If you truly believe God, he requires that you put skin in the game. It means that you must make a personal investment in the promises that he makes. You just can't sit back on the sidelines and, and, and watch this all play out as a spectator. He says, if you want to experience the abundant life, if you want to experience the promises, if you truly believe me, invest in me. Invest in my work. Invest in my agenda. 
And when you invest, what happens to you is it prevents you from retreating. It prevents you from, uh, uh, from being discouraged because you're sold out. You've, you're, you are invested, and that's what he's doing. Abraham is basically taking a flag by burying Sarah in the ground. He's taking that flag, and he's staking it out, saying, this whole land will belong to me and the Jews one day. You Hittites have no right to be on it, but I'm going to buy it as an act of faith and stake it out. I have skin in the game. That's what Abraham's saying by burying Sarah there. Question, do you have skin in the game? Have you invested enough to where there's no retreat? You can't go back to your old life. You can't go back to the old way you're doing things. You can't go back to the corporate world. You can't go back to the way you used to be. Have you done that? You have to invest at some point in time in God's promises if you truly believe him. Let me give you an example and we'll end on this. As an example of no retreat when you invest. Hernando Cortez came to Mexico, Veracruz, Mexico, in 1519. Something had, it had happened uh, before he came. The Spanish had led two expeditions in Mexico, obviously with the conquistadores, to take over the Aztecs and the Mayans in that area. And the first two attempts by Spain failed. And the main reason they failed was because the men and the soldiers that came over always in the back of their mind had the mindset of retreat. We can always go back to Spain if this doesn't work out. There was a way of going back. And so the, the first two expeditions actually failed. So Hernando Cortez comes and he says, that ain't going to happen this time. So you know what Hernando Cortez did? He got there. He had about 100 sailors, and then he had about 53, I think, soldiers. And to make sure that the success of that mission happened, when they got to Veracruz, Mexico, and they knew they had to go fight the Aztecs and the Mayans and, 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 and conquer the land, Hernando, to the, to the shock of his, his sailors and soldiers, burned all 11 ships which sent the message, you're not going back to Spain. We are here for good, and you better make good on what we're here to do, because we're not going back. There's no retreat in your mind. That's it. That's what Abraham was doing. He's not going back to the Ur of the Chaldees. He's not going back to Sarah and his old life. It's over. We're going forward, and we're going to stake it out by investing in the promises of God for the future. And that's what we do as well. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Abraham's life. What an amazing man. What an amazing thing that he did. It's an illustration for us to follow in those footsteps, to build up, store up treasure in heaven. Help us to do that. Help us to live as sojourners and, and pilgrims in this life because we inherit the earth in the messianic kingdom. And Father, we lift up Israel today. We are concerned for her. We are worried about her, Father. And we ask for her protection. We ask for her deliverance. We ask, Father, you protect its citizens. We, protect, uh, we ask for the hostages to be let go. We pray for the IDF to rout Hamas and, 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 and Fatah and whatever terrorist organizations, that they would just destroy them and rout them. 
so that there can be shalom. But Father, ultimately we pray for their ultimate shalom with you, that they would come to faith in your son, Yeshua, come to faith in him and have ultimate shalom with you, Father. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.